Welcome to the Cross Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross Border Interview Podcast featuring Austin Mullins. Uh, Austin, do you mind if I call you Austin during the episode, or do you prefer sure. Mr. Mullins? Or no, no, <laughs> I'm I'm too young for Mr. Mullins. Austin works. <laughs> Austin, perfect. Austin, uh, I, I I start all my interviews the same way. Where did your sense of duty come from? You ran in 2019. Where did that sense of duty to put your name forward come from? Right. Uh, you know, I've always been uh, very politically engaged all throughout high school. Um, I've always known that I wanted to run. I didn't know I was going to do it uh, at 22, but I always knew I wanted to run. Um, I grew up sort of on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, I guess you could say. Um, definitely in the eye of the storm of lots of poverty. I've witnessed a lot of sort of, you know, structural barriers that a lot of people experience. Um, and so I knew that the tools that my family gave me to succeed, I needed to use them for good. And I thought my skill set is best uh, with politics. I'm super passionate about it. And um, I knew that I wanted to get involved somehow. I didn't know I was going to run this soon, but <laughs> uh, I knew that I needed to get involved, uh, you know, and help remove those structural barriers that I witnessed in so many people in my family and friends that just stopped them from getting ahead. Um, I just knew I needed to do something to change that for the better. Uh, were your parents politically active as a child? No, nope. when you were a kid? <laughs> nope, none of my family is very politically active. I don't think my parents even started voting until I started to get politically active for them. <laughs> um, I don't know really where it comes from. Uh, my family is all very working class, just nine to five, go to work, do their job. They don't really get involved in, in the theater of politics, I guess you could say. Um, so I don't know where it came from. It's just something that I'm really passionate about. Now you are from Alberta. You, I'm assuming you were born in Alberta, correct? No, actually I'm from Ontario. Oh, uh, welcome to the I, club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on Scario, as we call it out here. <laughs> yes. Um, so as an Ontario kid moving to Alberta, the heartland of the conservative party, as right. I will say, how does a 22 year old kid go? I'm going to run for the green party. Well, uh, you know, I always knew that I was a progressive, so if it was either going to be the Green Party or the NDP, and uh, actually I did join the NDP before I joined the Green Party, but that was really only so that I could vote in their leadership election in 2017. Um, and then, you know, I finally sat down and I looked at, I really studied the 2015 uh, federal election really hard, and I watched all the debates, and I read all the policy platforms, and I decided, you know, green is for me, no matter what my chances are of winning in Alberta, I want to represent the Green Party. Um, you know, I believe wholeheartedly in the democratic process, so it doesn't matter your chances of winning, you just need to do it if those are your values. And I definitely find myself fully aligned with the Green Party's values. Um, that doesn't mean that it was easy uh, at all to run for the Greens in rural Alberta especially, but I did it. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> Let's talk about that election, 2019. The uh, green uh, agenda seemed to be getting more popular at the time. We right. had a liberal government who had just purchased a pipeline that would be running right. through BC. 
was the attitude at the doors. We believe that we want a green party, but we want to keep Justin Trudeau out. So we're going to vote for the conservatives instead. Or what was the attitude at the door when you were knocking? Um, I think a little bit of that. Um, I think obviously uh, rural Alberta is very conservative. So, you know, I think the CPC incumbent here won with 71% of the vote. You know, he handily re-won and that's because, you know, he's the staunch supporter of pipelines in the oil and gas industry. And that's what everyone here votes on. Um, so I don't think there was as much, there wasn't as much apathy towards Justin Trudeau as you would expect because people, they know that their vote is going to they're riding locally and they know that the conservative is going to be reelected. So I don't think people drive to the polls just so they can vote against Trudeau. I think they genuinely here believe in the conservative vision. And so they vote conservative to support uh, Blake Richards. You know, it was the campaign overall was, I'm not going to say positive, but there wasn't, there wasn't a, uh, much fire, I guess you could say. You know, everybody showed up to events to listen to what we had to say, but we all knew that Blake Richards was going to be reelected. So it was kind of a formality to have all these events and go to the doors. Um, you know, with 71% of the vote and a 73% turnout, you know, he won this riding handily. Um, but at the same time, you did pick up support from the previous election. Yes, we did, I think. 0.5 percent <laughs> but still that's 0.5 percent and i know we, right. we say that if you keep on running that 0.5 percent will become one percent two percent four percent so on and so forth so do you think there's an appetite in alberta for the green message or no i think there could be with better communications in the future um i think something that kind of you know, of course, the Green Party has very limited resources, so we can't have this sort of one-size-fits-all campaign that is going to benefit the whole country. We have to go hard where we know we can win, and that is not Alberta. So I think a lot of our communications in 2019, sort of the national campaign, uh, definitely hindered uh, Greens in Alberta because everywhere you go on green websites or social media and every time Elizabeth May spoke it was no pipelines, no fossil fuel infrastructure, no expansion of the oil sands. Um, and of course that is what we believe in because that's what we believe is going to uh, lower our carbon emissions and that's kind of our raison d'etre. So that's what we believe but I think the communications really kind of threw us under the bus I guess in a way. Um, so even if there is an appetite for say a shift to a green economy and we could convince conservative voters that that's in their best interest, the messaging needs to shift to be m less hostile towards the oil sands and more about a just transition. Um, and so I think the messaging in the next election or the next leader we elect and how they go about presenting their vision for the party is definitely going to uh, change the appetite, I suppose, for how people want that messaging here. Please, I, I find with the Green Party, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not sure if you were around in 2012. In 2012, there was a by-election here in Calgary, Calgary Centre to be exact, right. and the Green Party came in third in that election. Yes. It was a shock to the Conservatives and the Liberals that the Green Party were polling so well. Right. So the message is there. It's just in a national election, like you said, you have... You have to win votes in Quebec, you have to win votes in BC, right. you have to win votes in Ontario, and we are the forgotten cousins from the majority yes. of parties, let's be honest. <laughs> yes, for sure. 
So, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, I think in 2008, the Green Party candidate came in second in my riding, which was formerly the Wild Rose riding. So I think that has happened a lot of times in Alberta where the Greens do better than you'd expect. But I think that's also a symptom of the Liberals and NDP not having strong campaigns as well, because they know that the writings are so strongly conservative that they don't put the resources into it, um, which is a shame. <laughs> now, uh, so when I ran in 2015, I ran in Northern Alberta. It was uh, the, like you said, you run in a, an election in a rural Alberta, you know you're going to lose because yes. they can run a, <laughs> run a nameplate and that nameplate yes. would win as a conservative. Yeah. So my question was, it would be like when I was running, I did not, see the people come out and say, okay, I want to, I'm going to vote for you, but I'm not putting up a sign. I'm not going to say that I'm voting for you. I'm just going to tell you I'm voting for you and then just move right. along because I don't want to be there. Did you find that in this election, in that this past election with yourself? Um, yes and no. I think there was like a big shift. I started, I think I was the second uh, acclaimed candidate after the incumbent. So I was the first sort of challenger to be announced in the papers. I think that was in May of 2019. So I got a lot of attention pretty early on in the campaign. And that was when people would say, I'm going to vote for you, but don't tell anybody. That, that was the sort of messaging then. But then as we got into the campaign and they realized that the NDP and the liberal candidates were going to be paper candidates because both of them joined the race, I think, two weeks before the writ drop. So they knew that they weren't as invested. I suddenly started to get, I was like the, the progressive vote was rallying around me and people were more open about supporting my campaign. It didn't shake up the way we thought it was going to at the polls because I still came behind the NDP and the liberal candidates because that's just the way it goes. Um, but I definitely, there was a shift from don't tell anybody, it's very secret that I'm going to vote for you to very open support. But that was also uh, very concentrated in the Bow Valley, which is where I live, which is already a very progressive wing of Banff Airdrie riding as a whole. Um, yeah. So, um, did you have supporters who would actually come out and canvas with you? Because when you think of the Green Party in Alberta, you don't traditionally think that uh, there's a large uh, contingent of them. You don't think that there's going to be uh, a large amount of people who would be able to get on the ballot. But you were in the riding, you were on the ballot. So did right. you have uh, people in Airdrie, in Banff, in Cochrane, uh, Cochrane? Canmore. Yes. Yeah. Cochrane yeah. and Camwell, both of them. Yeah. Um, did you have people in the riding in those areas who say, yeah, like I w I'm your person in this area? Um, no. <laughs> the short answer to that is no. We had, <laughs> it was quite the struggle. We didn't actually have uh, an electoral district association registered throughout the whole campaign. Um, so organizationally, it was very, everything was kind of tossed in the air. We didn't really know what we were doing. And like I said before, the Green Party has very limited resources. So getting help from outside is also very difficult. Um, so I had, I think about, you know, three to five people that helped me throughout the campaign, but not consistently. It was always a kind of a different person. And it was me and them just going to where we needed to go and getting things done. So it was, you know, pretty much me and one other person the whole time, just going to events, door knocking. Um, so we didn't actually do as much door knocking as we should have, but we realized that we didn't really have the resources to do it efficiently. So my And campaign, at the same time, you, the writing is quite large. Right? It's very, so, yeah, it's quite yeah. large, yes. <laughs> Not as big as some of the other rural Alberta writings. So, you know, I'll count my blessings, but it's definitely still very big. Um, and we also had some 
more hostile situations when we went door knocking in Airdrie, which kind of turned off the volunteers that helped me on that day, and then it kind of fell off from there. Um, so organizationally, we did not really have the support that we should have had, but at the same time, even though we only had three volunteers, we did still increase the vote share. So the potential, I think, is there, and so that's what I've been working on the last year, just you know, getting the green presence in Banff Airdrie hyped enough to get involved and get our EDA registered so that we can. And have you found that the message is getting out there? Yes and no. Um, people, of course, this year has been pandemic. So any progress I made before the pandemic has completely fallen off <laughs> uh, uh, since then. But I think starting now that we're getting into the fall and things are starting to get safer, quote unquote, um, we can start meeting again, maybe outside or now that it's getting colder, maybe not, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> so that 2019 election happened a month right. and a half afterwards. Uh, the announcement from Elizabeth May came out that she would be yes. stepping down. And uh, to me, it was a shock. I didn't expect it to be so quickly after the election. I maybe thought maybe six, seven months into the uh, term she might announce, but I right. didn't expect it so quickly. Um, this leadership election started in, I think, December 12th, the day she announced that she was stepping down. Yes. And it's, com it's ending on October 3rd, uh, three days mm -hmm. after this episode airs. Um, we've had 10 candidates, now down to seven. You have endorsed one of these seven remaining candidates, yes. Dr. Courtney Howard. Yes, I have. <laughs> so I'm going to read the endorsement that you gave that was published okay. <laughs> on your website and hers. Yes. To do politics differently, we need to listen to the science and elect a true climate leader who has committed her life and career to medicine and planetary health, who will not, uh, not hesitate to challenge the status quo, and who has a proven track record of creativity, resilience, and adaptation. We need Dr. Courtney Howard. So my question to you is, how did you come to this conclusion? Um, well, of course, it's been a, a pretty long campaign, so I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I've invested as much time as I can into researching all the candidates. And I knew from the get-go that I wanted someone who was not, not a lawyer, not a traditional politician, not someone that you typically see in these positions. And so I knew that someone who comes with a different sort of skill set is someone I'm going to gravitate towards. And so... Of course, an ER physician in Yellowknife definitely represents that. And I think with the Green Party, you know, our reason of being is the climate crisis. And, you know, we push all the time that we're using evidence-based solutions to push our policy forward. And so for me, having someone who is a scientist at the helm of the Green Party who is pushing science to solve the climate crisis is exactly what we need. Um, and I think being a candidate in a rural area, having a leader who knows the rural struggle, living in Yellowknife is also a huge plus. Um, and I think the work that she has done, Dr. Courtney Howard, the work that she's done for years before getting involved in politics has been, is completely lined up with the Green Party's values. Um, and she has a lot of uh, international, she's known internationally, people know her, she has lots of connections in Canada, she's worked uh, you know, she's the president of the, what is it, the, it's a, a, physicians. A, yeah, physici physicians for climate change or physicians for the environment. It's one of those, I always get the long titles jumbled up, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I think she represents exactly what the Green Party needs going forward for like the sort of one size fits all campaign that 
I'm advocating for. Um, and to inspire voters who may not be, uh, who may not already be involved with the Green Party, because of course, with you know the incumbent in my riding winning winning with 71% of the vote, we would no other candidate that ever challenged that candidate would be able to win without picking up people who have previously voted conservative. And so I think we need someone who is just different, like not someone that you consider to be a typical politician. And I think Dr. Courtney Howard is a perfect representation of that. So earlier on in the interview, you talked about that you would be potentially the candidate in a future election, whenever right. that would be. Um, I'm assuming you would hope to be running under Dr. Courtney Howard, but yes. would that stay true if it was another leadership candidate as well who won? Yes, absolutely. I think all of the all of the leadership candidates um, they all line up with my values. You know, they're all Greens at the end of the day, so you know we're all on the same team. Um, I think all of them will represent a vastly different. Green Party, but at the end of the day, the Green Party has always been a sort of big tent party. We pull people from all across the spectrum. Um, and so in recognizing that, you know, there's no candidate that I would not want to run under. I think all of them bring a lot to the table and I hope all of them stay involved uh, with the Green Party going forward. And, you know, imagine all of them having a seat in the House, we would have a pretty great Green Caucus. So I'm... <clears throat> so we have, uh, uh, like I said, October 3rd is the date that the new leader is going to be announced. Right. Uh, what's the first step for a green Alberta ca candidate that you would want to see the new leader do to bring uh, a new change from what Elizabeth May had previously done? Right. Um, I think a big thing uh, structurally within the Green Party, we need some big changes. Um, organizationally, we kind of fall short. Um, and I think sort of the big first step that the new leader can do is to reorganize the party um, and help us uh, sort of strengthen the party like regionally right down to the local EDA level and make sure that every riding is ready and prepared for the next election um, to go forward. Of course, that is not the full responsibility of the leader because they're more the political face of the party, but their leadership can definitely push that agenda forward. Um, so I think right away they need to just hit the ground running and get us to a better shape organizationally and how do they, how do they do that you talk about a new structure but uh how do you get potentially 338 riding associations up and running when a when you're in a minority situation because right now right there's talk that an uh, election could be happening in october let's be honest like right <laughs> it seems like justin trudeau and aaron o'toole want to go but they don't want to go because that'd be politically suicide according to them right. yeah so how do you get that up and running while all the seven candidates who are running don't have a seat in the house of commons so sure. they're going to have to win their own seat the structure is going to have to focus on on that seat because i'm assuming elizabeth may paul manley and I always forget the Fredericton MPs. Uh, Jenica Atwin. Atwin. Um, yeah. They're going to be running for re-election, I'm assuming. So they're going to be putting uh, resources into those three ridings, leadership leaders riding. So how do they potentially build the structure for the EDAs to win when they're not going to be focusing on the ridings that they need to to win right. the actual government? Well, I think my answer changes considering the potential fall election, of course. I'm hoping that it doesn't happen. So my, my brain sort of goes, no, no election. We're just going <laughs> to go with things as normal. But of course, 
if an election is called, then, you know, I think it's all hands on deck for the writings. We know we can win sort of the, the traditional way we've done it before, put all of our resources into knowing where we can kind of keep our presence now. Um, and of course, the leader has to pick a seat where they're going to run. We don't know where that's going to be. Um, I would assume it would be a riding where a green has done well in the past, but we don't know. We're not sure who's going to win. So, <laughs> and at the same say. time, all seven candidates come from different parts of the country, right? Right. Mm -hmm. With uh, uh, Miss Howard, uh, Doctor Howard coming from Yellowknife, with yeah. Emmy Paul coming from Toronto, Glenn Murray coming from Winnipeg. So you have all these candidates who are going to potentially run close to their home, right? Right. Um, I think most of the candidates have said that they will run wherever, you know, sort of HQ says this is where you should run because this is your best chance. Um, but at the same time, of course, being a leader of a party that does give you some uh, clout, I guess, in wherever you're going to run and you'll do a little bit better than you would if you were a normal candidate. Um, but we have, you know, Glenn Murray was you know, the liberal cabinet minister before, so he could run in his previous writings and probably do very well. David Murner came within, I think, three points of winning uh, his writing in 2019. So if he wins, I'm sure he could handily take his seat. Um, I think even Courtney Howard could win uh, the Northwest Territories. Yeah, when I asked her about that, because I interviewed all the candidates, right. uh, when I asked her about that, she did say, I would run wherever the party would want me to run but I would prefer right. potentially and I'm, uh, I might not be getting the exact words right but she would like to run in Yellowknife because people know we're there right right yeah exactly and I think and she hasn't run for the Green Party before so we don't really know how she would perform but I think if she won the leadership and she had all the resources that we could possibly give her I think she could definitely do well um, so I think we have a lot of at least the front runners in the race who are primed for wherever they run they could do very well potentially win so this this ballot is a ranked ballot for those who don't know yeah. you you name your first top one through seven choices so if right. your candidate gets dropped off your second choice gets it uh do you mind saying who your second and third choice are or do you yeah, want to keep yeah. that under the belt no no i've i've publicized that as well uh my second choice is amita kuttner um, I think they they represent sort of the same uh, vision that I want with, uh, you know, a scientist at the helm of the Green Party. Um, and of course, I want to see more queer representation at, you know, at the leadership roles and a person of color. Um, and I think they are extremely smart. And so I was for a long time, I was going back and forth between Amina and Courtney. And then the it was sort of the rural push that Courtney offered that kind of pushed me over the edge to pick her as my number one because as a candidate in a rural riding you know I'm thinking about how do I succeed and how do we get more rural candidates to succeed as well um, and then my third choice is David Murner I think he's the people don't like when I say this but I think he's the comfy choice <laughs> I think he would appeal to like the widest range of voters in Canada um, and I think he does have a lot of great leadership skills to unite the party um, I don't know if I necessarily want someone who's going to unite the party in the center again and kind of go the, the status quo route that we've taken in the past, but I still think he's an amazing leader and I would be happy to run under him as well. Um, well do you, you said something there that is quite interesting, the, the center candidate as uh, right. David Murner. Do you right. consider, where, where do you consider the Green Party right now? Center left or left? 
Um, right now, I think we're having a bit of an identity crisis. I don't know if we know where we are. Um, you know, our 2019 slogan was not left, not right, forward together. So we were trying this sort of apolitical approach where we weren't anywhere on the spectrum. We were just pulling uh, policies that worked on either side and putting them together for this platform. And that was also our attempt to, you know, attract a wide range of voters. Um, so I don't really know where we are right now, but we have definitely some leadership candidates that are going hard for eco-socialism and they want to pull the party straight to the left. We have some leadership candidates that want to keep us in the center. And we have a couple that want to keep that message that we had in 2019 that is sort of apolitical. We will just take what works from across the spectrum and use it to go forward. Um, and then you do have a candidate who is trying to take the party a little bit more to the right, where the right. Green Party traditionally was when it was formed from the splinter right. group of the progressive conservatives. So right. is this, go ahead, I'll ask the question after you're done. <laughs> I think that candidate is um, not going to do very well. <laughs> I don't think the, the the majority base of Greens today uh, want to go right. I don't know if all of them want to go left either, but I, I know that, you know, our progressive values tell us that we're not going to the right. And, you know, for a party that offers free tuition, universal childcare, universal dental, final care, that's not, these are not right-wing policies. It's not a right-wing approach. So the policies that we offer, it doesn't line up with moving to the party to the right at all. Um, so I think, if anything, we're going to stay in the center or we're going to go left. <laughs> so depending on who the, the Green Party, because you did double your membership here, which was an amazing right. feat for a party, a fourth, a fourth, fifth party in the House of Commons to double their membership for a vote. Hopefully it will go smoother than the Conservatives did where we right. had to wait four <laughs> hours for the actual results. But well, it's online voting, so. <laughs> there you go. Well, no, there's some, uh, there's some mail-in oh, ballots. I saw I, that today. Yeah, true. I think there's 200 or something, though. <laughs> okay, never mind. Yeah. Let's, hope, let's hope they don't get shredded as the Conservatives yeah, yeah. do here. But it seems like this next, this on October 3rd, it will drastically change the Green Party's way because for 10 years, you have been the Elizabeth May Party and right. then the Green Party. Now it's, can we rebrand ourselves to be the Green Party with a leader who is X? Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we need. Um, you know, I will be honest and say I was happy when Elizabeth May stepped down. I, I don't think she was a hindrance to our success, but I don't think she was helping it either. Not because she isn't great, but because voters in general, I think we're just bored. You know, when the leader is in power for 13 years, it's just, oh, there's Elizabeth May again. And she was great, but she wasn't inspiring anybody new to join. It was just, she already brought everybody that she could bring and she wasn't bringing anybody new. And so I'm really happy that we can finally kind of move forward and see where we can go with a new leader. But we definitely need to focus on the party with the leader rather than this one person being our our whole existence. Um, and I think that's another great thing with this leadership race is that now suddenly, if a lot of these candidates stay involved, we have more high profile greens to point to, to say, these are our people. And in the past, it was really Elizabeth May. That was, that was the green representative that most people could think of. And now we have a whole roster of high profile greens that we can point to. 
and, and I give credit to Elizabeth May because she has taken a party that was politically dead in the waters when she uh, when she became leader in I think 2004 2005 uh mm, I think earlier than that <laughs> okay in in that time frame years, yes <laughs> let's say 13 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. should have done my research on that one beforehand <laughs> But she's taken a party that w- that had, had no representation, that had no uh, right. complete structure across Canada, where they had 308 at the time candidates running, and has taken it to a party that has come close to winning up to potentially 10 seats and right. three MPs in the House of Commons. So you give have to give credit where credit's due that oh, she's absolutely. done this so yeah. well. Yeah, and. You know, she was the first Green elected at any level, and after her election, we've seen many more Greens elected in provincial legislatures across the country and lots of Greens uh, on city councils. Um, So she has definitely pushed the Green uh, agenda forward in Canada, absolutely. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, there's no, no, you can't point to any party now and say that they've had a leader for 13 years. You know, the, the quick turnaround is kind of what keeps people inspired and renewed to keep going with the political process um so i think we definitely need that renewal well and and i agree because even in the last election we've seen two leaders step down andrew Shearer, elizabeth may previous before that we saw stephen harper step down thomas mulcair step down so it's the understanding is if you don't do well you step down and elizabeth may to her to her detriment she's been a hard worker of i'm gonna keep getting this party forward I'm going to grow it from one to a by-election of two to a uh, caucus of three. So good for her. I give right. her credit where credit's due. Now, let's to, to wrap this up, we have the leadership October 3rd. Right. Let's say we're not in an election this year. They're going to they're gonna be smart and actually let people just settle down and not have to uh, worry about an election in 2020. Let's worry about it in 2021 when we have a right. vaccine. <laughs> What's the best case scenario for a new leader? Double your votes, double your seat count. I know the best case scenario for you would be a government, but in realistic terms, what would be a win? I think in realistic terms, I think party status would be our goal. That was our our goal uh, in the last election um, to be officially recognized in the house as an official party. And that means we have all the resources of an official party in the house. And so I think realistically that should be our goal. And I believe that's 12 seats uh, in the house. Yeah. Um, So I think that would be our best case scenario and we should really go hard for getting party status. Um, However that shakes up, I hope we can do it. Which I, I think it's doable, and it comes back to your last, your first statement around communications. Right. Green Party seems to do amazingly well at the beginning of an election. They everyone wants to vote for them by the end of the election. Let's put it honestly. I was one of those candidates, the social media candidates, where they have said something bad in the past, and it's completely flubbed them. With the abortion debate in Quebec, uh, it flubbed the uh, Green Party potential candidates in Ontario, where there wasn't really a good communications of where the party stood. Under a new leader, hopefully the communications will be tight and succinct, so that way the candidates here in Alberta will be able to run under a clear message. Right. I I hope so, too. Um, I think... 
we have some, we need to get serious, essentially. That's what it all comes down to. I think we have definitely been serious in the past, but not sort of, a, not universally. Uh, like there's definitely lots of areas in Canada that kind of fall through the cracks with Green Party support. Um, and we've let them fall through the cracks because we don't have the resources to support them. And that comes down right down to vetting. You know, if our candidates are not being vetted properly, of course, it opens the door for all those problems you just mentioned. And so I think we just really need to restructure the party and get serious. You know, we won over a million votes in 2019, almost the same amount of votes as the Bloc, and we have three seats and they have 32 seats. <laughs> you know, so we have the support nationally but we need to reorganize and restructure so that we can narrow that support to win more seats. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are right. you in favor of getting rid of first past the post? Yes, 100%. Um, I think that sort of boils down to a lot of our problems politically, not just for the Green Party, but for every party. You know, if people would vote differently if we had a different system, but in 2019, the Conservatives won the most votes. And so nationally the conservatives had the most support but the liberals are still in government and to me that's not democracy <laughs> um, of course it comes down to the individual writings but it it doesn't seem to be fair at all um, and it does create a lot of problems i think it creates the divisiveness that we see in our politics because everything comes down to how do we you know it's all attacks and and just the infighting especially in the green party leadership race and you know everything so that's what would you be in favor of because um, the I, green party is currently uh there has been talk of mixed member proportional representation right. uh the green party candidate leadership is actually a ranked ballot so right. would the green party be in favor of a ranked ballot because i know that's what justin trudeau's preferred uh way of elections would be but the commission on elections came back and said no that's not the way we want and he squashed right. it Right. So what would be your uh, preferred way or the Green Party in that way, preferred way of voting? Right. Um, you know, I think there's lots of different forms that work. I'm not sure exactly which one would be best for Canada. I think we definitely need to put more uh, research into it and figure it out. Um, but I think a mixed number proportional system, just from how we know it works in other countries, I think it would work great for us. Um, but I think at the same time, we need to we need to put some thought into it and really, you know, get that commission to go again and have a committee and figure it out. Like what is going to work best for Canada? Because I don't think first past the post is working for us. Um, I think it, it really uh, contributes to a lot of the voter apathy that we have in Canada um, and all the negative things that we can think about, about our political scene. It really comes down. If you really boil it down, it's all about first past the post and, um, of course, the governing parties want to keep it because it keeps them elected. But at the same time, they will probably still form government. It just means that the smaller parties will have more of a voice. And I don't know why anyone would be opposed to that. <laughs> well, and that's I think that's the ultimate uh, uh, double-edged sword here is we will constantly be in the form of a minority government because in the last let's say 10 elections, no party, or even since uh, I would say Diefenbaker or Mulroney, no party has ever won more than 50% of the votes that right. have been cast. So you would always be in a constant state of a minority government. Do you think that would work under this current system? Because we've seen, let's be honest, the liberals like to steal 
everyone else's ideas and then claim them as their own. So right. do you think that would be the best for Canada is a minority situation where the best idea is always put forward and if a government needs to fall, it falls? Right. Well, you know, I if we had a, a some sort of electoral reform, I don't think that the governing parties would have a need to take ideas from other parties because people will vote however they want to vote anyway because they know their vote is being counted. Um, so I think it would definitely shift where everybody could go strong on exactly what they believe in. And if they get the votes, they get the votes. And if they don't, they don't. Um, and I think being in a minority situation ad infinitum is not necessarily a bad thing. It just means more cooperation between parties. It gets in a lot of ways, we can get more things done. Like a lot of the biggest things that we think of as a political success has been in minority governments in Canada. Um, because the parties are forced to work together and cooperate for Canadians and not just for their own base. It's, you know, if they have a majority, then they're just really working for the people that voted for them. Um, but in a, Well, not uh, even that. They're not even working for the people who are voted for them. They're working right. for the, the one area that they guarantee right. will get 20 seats, like Toronto. Right. Right? Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're working for their base, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, and so I think having a minority situation, however, that would shake up with a different system wouldn't be a bad thing at all. It would just mean people say that it wouldn't be stable enough, but I disagree with that because I think even if we have a minority situation with our current system, you can form a coalition, you can form like you can have formal agreements that you can govern with for four years or however long. Um, there's so many ways that we can make it work, and I think the political scene would improve drastically if we got rid of first past the post. I will agree with that. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm in favor of ranked ballots. You're in, like, I believe someone should at least get 50% to be a representative, right? I know some right. writings like yours, uh, Banff Airdrie or Airdrie Banff, I forget which way it goes, um, <laughs> they are 71% voted for Blake, so therefore he's right. the elected leader. But Writings like Calgary Skyview, which I'm in, it was 39-41. So there was the right. chance that there was that representation of the majority of people did not vote for the person who's currently sitting as the right. MP. Yeah, so, and I think that's what it comes down to. The system just needs to change so that either so that the person who gets the true majority is in or so that every vote counts in some yeah. form. Yeah, I'll agree right. with that. Um, before we go, one last question, and then I'll let you go here. Uh October 3rd, you're, you're endorsing Courtney Howard. For those, because like you said, it is that online voting, which will be taking right. place on October 3rd. For those Green Party members who are still, who are listening, why should they get out and vote for Courtney Howard? Dr. Uh, Courtney Howard, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, I think, I just think she has the skills and the expertise to lead our party into the next chapter. Um, you know, the climate crisis is the defining issue of our time, in my opinion. Um, and I think having someone who has worked closely in those circles and who is a scientist and who understands, the, you know, the emergency of this, uh, we need them at the, at the helm of the party. And we need to bring um, a different set of perspectives to the House of Commons rather than just what we see normally, which is, you know, lawyers and business owners. We need people, we need scientists in the House of Commons is kind of what it boils down to for me. Um, and I will say that voting for the leader opens on September 26th um, and goes until October 3rd. So you have, you have about a week to do it. <laughs> okay. So when this comes out, this will be, this will be airing on the, the 30th. So for those right. who haven't voted, make right. sure you get out and vote. But <laughs> yes, absolutely, uh, it opens up on the thirtieth. 
Austin, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I hope I didn't take too much of your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Talk to you later, Austin. Bye. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.